0: Film fans, I'm Jeff. I'm Dave. And I'm John. And welcome back
1: to The Love of Cinema, a pod in which we'll challenge one another to discuss movies both new and old with a strictly positive critical eye.
2: That's right. And to avoid any lazy negativity, we're going to go ahead and uh, make this a drinking game. A what? Yay. We're making this a drinking game. So anytime Uh we say something negative or stupid about a film, it is totally fine. It's happened before. It will happen again. But... (laughs) We will be called out for it. You will hear this lovely sound, which means we are drinking, and we hope you at home are going to drink along with us. Let's get on with the show.
0: So pour yourselves a glass, join us, and give it up for the films we love, and perhaps a film that needs some love this week.
2: Maybe. Mm. We're talking about three fantastic films from the film year 1960, which has a number of memorable films that many of you would recognize some of the titles but first let's send it over to john for some shout outs
1: all right as always want to give it up for our beer sponsor carlos barozo you can follow him on instagram the handle is Bar 2019 that's c b a r r o z o b a r two zero one nine. and as always the music you hear on this episode and every episode is provided by the artist dasign that's Dasein. D-A-S-E-I-N. You can find all the music available for free downloads at soundcloud.com forward slash da sign dash
2: artist. All right, guys. 19 motherfucking 60. He does that live every
0: week, too. He doesn't pre-record that. That's
2: great. Yeah, and this time you just (laughs) flowed right into the 1960s section. But we're going to punt on it for a little bit longer because we should do it around the horn. We should do it around the horn. I don't think that's exactly what I meant. I I think we should. hot. (laughs) (laughs) We should go around the horn with a quick... What you've been watching and maybe any news stories you want to share. Uh, Dave, what you've been watching?
0: Oh, I I finished up uh, Umbrella Academy this week. Mm. I'm loving it good yeah loving it good finish um can't wait for another season 3 another um, cliffhanger um ending. oh it's it's uh it's it's weird cuz it feels like it wraps up a se- an episode early and then you get to the ending and okay. there's this big reveal and it's like oh shit the yeah, next season's going to be very interesting um mm-hmm. i've been watching the outsider the uh the ad- adaptation of the stephen king story story yeah i saw that you're, you're in the yeah. middle of it I'm in the middle of it. Yeah, I'm yeah. Uh, about—I wouldn't say halfway through the first season—and nice. I've been watching the documentary on Netflix about uh, the introduction of gaming uh, or the invention of gaming. High yeah. score, and I'd, I'd recommend anyone who's in, even remotely interested in gaming watch this. It's hilarious, it's well done, and quite informative. Wow! Starts from like the the genesis,
1: like chronologically, the history of gaming and everything. Or Dude, is it kind Gen- of-
0: Genesis is episode five. I meant
1: like. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sega Genesis shout out there. Shout out Sega. Sega, God, I haven't thought about awesome. that in years. Oh my God, cool, dude, nice, cool. informative. D- John, cool. Um, I I took uh, immediately on Sunday night. I believe I took your recommendation. I watched the Social Dilemma, and that mm-hmm. was uh, definitely worth watching. That is um, something everybody should check out. I think. Uh, whenever you're living in these crazy times and you feel like there's no way to understand stuff, it made me remember, I know we mentioned it last week, The Great Hack, but it kind of gave me that same feeling that like, okay, there is there is something or some, there are some things that you can understand a little bit better that might give you some context for why it feels so fucking out of control right now. And uh, this is one of those things. So I recommend everybody check it out. It's on Netflix, feature-length documentary. I also watched... Um, Kept going with the docs and i watched the entire immigration nation series that's on netflix as well uh six-part documentary series about the state of the country's uh situation with immigration kind of touches a little bit on the history but it's mostly these past you know four to six eight years kind of dealing with it and kind of giving you context for what's happening right now uh very emotional very intense but again very informative i definitely recommend if you have the if you don't mind feeling very sad for a few days <laughs> i think it, uh, it would be <laughs> worth your time to check that cool. out and then uh yeah then i watch these how about you
2: awesome i left this podcast on sunday night and i started seven samurai because it is the inspiration for one of these films okay. and i did not make it through the three hours and 40 minutes which no I've, already no, course, <laughs> I've already seen i've already yeah. seen but i just want to i just wanted to live in that moment for a little bit and god damn it it's so good and it happens so fast. Those guys so come weather. in and they're like, ha, so much weather. you don't have any food. So we'll come back in a few months. I hope you have food then. Bye. And that's it. <laughs> that is all yep. the, the exhibition. Anyway. Um, but I, I tried. Screaming at each other. <laughs> I don't know why. I'm a, I'm a moody TV watcher. So I tried starting away with Hillary Swank, the space. Uh, drama dramedy Mm -hmm. um so this is very clearly a netflix international play it is about an international space team that hillary swank is going to lead on the first manned mission to mars or i guess we should say humaned mission to mars since (laughs) there are multiple ladies (laughs) they take a pit stop on the moon on the way to mars which is fun she's leaving her family behind for years you would think all the the context is there and in truly the dialogue right i'm never gonna act for these people ever again after this pandemic it is the worst piece of fucking shit dialogue writing i've, I've ever heard <laughs> in a television shit. series i mean i again I, i'm never gonna act so i'm not really worried about uh-huh. that i would love to certainly not after this podcast i mean the dialogue it is atrocious it is like you know those episodes of Grey's Anatomy where they're like, "Oh, oh crap, really? we forgot about these two doctors in this episode, so let's just give them some weird like backstory." It is, I mean, it's—I don't know if it's because of the international appeal. It is not smart. I—I I, I don't know how they put so much money into it. Clearly, they knew what they were doing. They have smart people that are, are successful. These writers are successful. I don't know why they can't write human interactions that are remotely realistic. It, it is was just it
1: supposed to—is it? Was it like supposed to feel like Grey's? Like
2: melodrama soapy is I it supposed so. to feel like that
1: and you just don't I like so. that because like when someone I, I asks mean,
2: when someone asks a question and they immediately just start a monologue do you know 15 yeah. years ago when mm-hmm. i first looked at you you know like those kinds of things and it's like oh my I god i once knew a girl who lived on
0: jefferson street yeah, 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 but yeah. that was a anyway, long time ago
2: i don't want to shit on away anymore but i was i was really it's too bad because hillary swank is awesome i don't know how she knows how to yeah, make this dialogue I, work but she's great dude Josh Charles, maybe he caught up by the next episode. Um, what I would say, I, I watched five episodes of Broadchurch Friday night. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, oh, yes. that news happened, and I was just like, I don't want to be on social media. I, I don't want to. Mm. I just was like angry, and I was like, I need to be away from. I just, I can't. So we just sat down and we pushed play on Broadchurch first season, and we just watched five episodes in a row. I love Olivia Coleman. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. David Tennant. It, it was. It's so 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 good. Um, it so good. So yeah, that's what I've been watching. Uh, Okay, Emmy news. um, That's happening right now. We are recording this on Sunday, September twentieth. It is currently seven seventeen p.m. So these things haven't even started yet. So anybody want to play Nostradamus? Anybody want to give a shot? Anybody have any anything? Anybody care at all about the Emmys here?
0: I mean, yeah, (laughs) no, not really. Yeah. All we all you need to know is
2: Game of Thrones won Best Drama for season eight. So clearly, the Emmys have lost almost all. Mm, that's for the Emmys. They, they, no, seriously. <laughs>
3: um.
2: So, for me, I, I'm way more interested in the actors than the performers. So, I'm liking Watchmen. I would love Regina King, but also Kate Blanchett and Mrs. America. That's a nice yeah, category. Yeah, I think watch,
0: Watchmen and Mrs. America are going to be the two to watch there.
2: That'll be fun for the limited series. I like um, Yahya Abdul Mateen II, who's awesome. I hope he wins supporting actor in. Um, in a limited series. For the comedies, I did love Schitt's Creek, so I'm rooting for both the Levies, although I believe Eugene is not gonna win. I th- I'm feeling like a Rami or even a Ted Danson, but I would love Catherine O'Hara or either Levees to win. Uh, Issa Rae could get some love, finally. So that would be really interesting. Um, but and then the drama category, it's all about succession in Ozark this year. i mm-hmm. They're great. Ozark got a little bit of love last year, so I almost wish it didn't so that this year it could just be like a sweep. There's a little bit of call for Better Call Saul too, but I don't know. I, I want Meryl Streep to win. I think she gave the performance of the year in Big Little Lies, a show that was not very good otherwise. Um, and maybe Brian Cox because he's awesome and he's Brian Cox. And then last thing is I want Trevor Noah to win. John Oliver would be happy to pass the torch. And Stephen Colbert has enough Emmys. Let's get Trevor Noah some love for doing some good work in the pandemic. He's been
0: do- Trevor's been doing some good work. He has I think so been, yeah, so, too. I've been enjoying yeah. And watching, his whole team.
2: So. Uh, his writers are still contributing, even though you don't see them. So that's it for the Emmys. We'll see if I was right about any of these, but that's what I'm hoping for. Anything else you guys want to say before we get into it?
0: I think we can do no, it. I fucking do it.
2: Yeah. Awesome! All right, guys. 1960. So last week, I thought no movies came out in 1960 that anybody should talk about, and boy was I wrong. <laughs> uh, highest grossing picture of 1959 was Ben Hur, which actually bled into 1960 a little bit. It was Ben Hur, I think, was still the, like the number one international film in 1960 because of how releases took forever back then. But uh, anybody, guys, number one at the box office, 1960, Psycho. No, number two. Oh, shit. Oh. is Spartacus. Spartacus number one. Of course.
0: Of course. Yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah.
2: Psycho number two. Um, let's see. After that, you have Exodus, Swiss Family Robinson. I think I've seen that on like some weird channels in the middle of the day. Number five. This was our this was our runner-up for our redemption film. The John Wayne directed classic, probably racist film, The Alamo, comes in at number five. On the box office mm-hmm. charts, 1960, uh, Butterfield 8 got where's, some acting Oscars. The where's apartment the Time comes Machine? apartments at number eight doing pretty well. Nope, not not at the box wow. office. Ocean's nope. Eleven, Ocean's Eleven, <laughs> the original, <laughs> mm-hmm. 1960, that's number nine. From the Terrace, you get a little bit of award buzz. You'd hear a lot of familiar names. For instance, Burt Lancaster wins an Oscar for Best Actor. Um, he beats Jack Lemmon, Lawrence Olivier, and Spencer Tracy. So a lot of big names wow. acting this year. Um, Peter Falk nominated for a Supporting Acting Oscar, so another familiar name there. Um, and then you also have uh, um, Liz Taylor wins an Oscar, Shirley Jones win an Oscar, so a lot of familiar names. Other movies you might know, Inherit the Wind, that's where you get your Spencer Tracy Non. You got Can Can, Bells Are Ringing, and then uh, um, a little movie that maybe wasn't too popular in 1960, but we know now is Little Shop of Horrors. Mm. With uh, Jack Nicholson mm-hmm. in a very, very small featured role Came out in 1960 Directed by somebody that John likes very well Mr. Roger Corman But mm-hmm. we are going to be discussing three films We are going to be discussing I also wanted to mag- mention Oh, sorry Damn it! Also, <laughs> I, thought I forgot to mention.
1: Uh, three really famous foreign films came out that year Godard's oh. Breathless mm. Ingmar Bergman's The Virgin Spring And uh, Antonioni's La Ventura Those are three just it, you know, incredibly famous foreign part house films, and those are definitely worth checking out as well. But, um, yeah, let's what, do was, it.
0: what was Thirteen Ghosts nominated for?
2: Oh my God, Dave, get out they, of here! Get the fuck didn't, out they of here! Have,
0: they didn't have the Razzies then. <laughs> they
2: did not have the Razzies <laughs> oh, though.
1: Yeah, the reason maybe, the Razzies were invented.
2: <laughs> maybe best cameo performance. I feel like it would have won an MTV Movie Award for that cameo performance. That we'll best, get to it. Best, a what bit. the
0: fuck was that? <laughs> <laughs> we All right,
2: gone? we're gonna yeah, ta- we're gonna fucking, talk yeah, ab- we're good. gonna talk about three films. It's my problem. I'll work through it. Um, we, uh, we definitely wanted to talk about the Magnificent Seven based on Seven Samurai. They decided to take the Japanese hit film by Kurosawa, Seven Samurai, and put it on horseback and take it to Mexico. So they we left have... the music in though. They <laughs> yeah, the music. Yeah, that's right. We have some, we have some, some Japanese flutes in there. No, no. I, completely... I
0: I really love that they actually credit Seven Samurai in the opening credits. Oh, really? uh, That's, that's really classy. I like yeah. that.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, cool. It's the Magnificent Seven, like it is. It's right there in the title. Very, I know, but very you get obvious, you get yeah. films
0: like Quarantine that was a rip off of the uh, Spanish film Rec. Oh. Um and mm. they they don't they keep that real quiet. Mm-hmm. I
2: th- yeah, I think they kind of like the camp a little bit, and just at least the pitch. Anyway, so we're gonna start with Magnificent Seven. Then we're gonna be talking about Billy Wilder's The Apartment, starring Jack Lemmon and a very young Shirley MacLaine, in a <laughs> very 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 good. What are you laughing at? That she's young or what? The burp. Your burp. Oh, <laughs> <Just okay>. like, <laughs> yeah. The... Uh, yeah the, the apartment. Fantastic this, film. This the
0: first time I've seen uh, young Shirley MacLaine acting. Same. She's yeah.
2: Good. I forgot how much um, how successful she was before her brother became more successful later in the sixties. We'll get to that. Um, so the apartment was the best picture winner at the Oscars. So we're going to talk about that second, and then finally we're going to talk about Thirteen Ghosts, which was a horror film that year. Um, yeah. It, it. It. The director actually the year before had a pretty good hit in um oh what the hell is that movie called i do this all the time um whatever it'll come to me in our segment tune in for that later um (laughs) (laughs) oh the house on haunted hill 1959 was the year before and they 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 used to put like skeletons in the theater and it became like a big halloweeny gag movie so this is his follow-up to that also it's a horror comedy 13 goes stick around for that let us get into magnificent seven Huh? Mm. Anybody without yeah. further ado. Here we go. So I'll give you the IMDb the brief summary here, which we've already kind of told a little bit is seven gunfighters are hired by a Mexican peasants to liberate their village from opp- oppressive bandits. Um so these um
0: Sounds like that should be a good 90 minutes,
2: but
0: uh, what's the runtime on this?
2: right so here's the more (laughs) the more expansive storyline a bandit terrorizes a small mexican farming village each year several of the village elders send three of the farmers into the united states texas specifically to search for gunmen to defend them they end up with seven each of whom comes for a different reason they must prepare the town to repulse an army of 30 bandits who will arrive wanting food that's the pitch anybody want to take it from there
1: was this everybody's first time seeing this?
0: Yeah. I had I had seen this as a child, but I didn't remember a lot of stuff from it. Yeah. Because my grandfather was a massive, massive fan of the uh, the Westerns. Mm. Yeah. So I, mean, I do. If, if, yeah, but if, if it had horses and cowboys, he was he read he read books, he saw the movies, yeah, he loved it. Would would you
2: guys both say you're Western fans? I know John, you had a, you had like a binge one time where you watched all the big westerns. Dave, would you consider yourself a big western fan as well?
0: Not so much. No. Hmm. It just, yeah, yeah okay. for me too. It depends
2: on the. It depends on who's making it, who's in it. I I mm. think
1: it is a strictly American thing. Like I think it's one of our things that we have claimed to. So when it's done really well, I think it can be amazing. Even though a handful of my favorite westerns are made in Italy, but um, <laughs> yeah, I think it can be great. But I, I I don't know. It's not quite as much of a blanket statement as it is for like noir or something like that for me, where I probably can sit down and watch most of those movies. How about you? Is this? I don't feel like I've ever heard you really talk about westerns.
2: Look, I'm just pissed because I thought this was a bottle opener that I brought, and it's actually a it's peeler.
0: a peeler. Yeah, yeah I was wondering why. <laughs> I was wondering why you had a fucking vegetable peeler in the garage. Trying your to generation. open my beer. And, uh, I, Yeah, Jeff just <laughs> tried. Jeff like... just tried to open his beer with a vegetable peeler. Jeff, mm. <laughs> I
2: can't drink. I can't open my beer. <laughs> Fuck no. Damn it! Oh I'm, gonna like, I'm gonna like ask you a question and then disappear for thirty seconds. No, I'm just kidding. I brought a can. Um, okay, great. On the break, <laughs> I'll get my thing. Um, awesome. I, I do. I do love westerns, but I did not give myself the the. I haven't given myself the the pleasure of watching all of the great ones. Deep, I saw Once down. Upon a Time There's in so America many. with you. Um, I don't think I've ever seen The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Um, I've seen the original True Grit. I've seen The Searchers, but it's, I, I still wouldn't. I'm not an expert on it the way that you guys are. But I do feel like this one is... It's not, like, the Western to watch if you love Westerns, unless you just sort of, like, want to tiptoe your way in. Would you kind of agree with that?
0: I mean, this is yeah. not, by any chance, a, like, by any means, a standard Western. This this has right. so not. much extra layer to it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, this doesn't really follow the... I don't like using the word tropes, but the rules of a typical uh, Western. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like this was... The whole time I was watching this, I was a little like, okay, so I guess this was, even though there was a lot of shooting, I guess they were trying to aim this at like a, they were trying to capture like the virtue of what those samurais had in Kurosawas. But, you know, there's so much, I think one reason I'm not, I like this movie. I I think it's good. And I understand why people love, some people love this movie. I love the, you know, the ensemble is tons of fun. Um, John Sturgis Got some of this gang together a few years later and made the great escape. And like I love that movie as yeah. well. So like there's an energy to this kind of ensemble thing that's fun. But one thing that didn't quite work for me in this being and I am a huge Kurosawa fan. So I wasn't like I was I wasn't judging this the whole time. I was excited to see what they were gonna do with it. One thing I think just fundamentally that didn't quite cross the finish line for me the entire time was that samurais have an oath of virtue. And especially at the time he made that, it was at a time in Japanese history, or Japan's history, where they were kind of being cast out. So there was this group of people who still had these principles and this philosophy, and they were upholding them in a freelance form, if you will, because the emperor was no longer calling them to his aid all the time. I don't know if I bought seven gunslingers just doing the right thing. It was fun, and I wanted to be on board with it it because it had a lot of heart. There were there were a lot of moments where they were trying to make these guys have their own little scenes. I mean, at least, at least at least one
0: of them is only there so he can find the, the gold that he thinks they've got in the hills.
1: Right, but even so he, he comes back, you know, yeah. and tries to tries to help out. And I, I, I don't be wrong, I did I did not dislike that. I, I appreciated it. It just felt a little bit like maybe a little bit too clean. Like I feel like if it if some of them or all of them except for Yul Brynner were a little bit more conflicted, I think it would have been a more interesting movie. I don't know. Do you guys yeah. do you guys agree with that?
0: I think I think um I mean, yeah, it definitely would have it would have changed up the movie a lot. I think I think what they had worked, mainly because everybody went on some form of journey. Like there was one guy who yeah. was like not with a family and he, he gets stationed with the kids all the time. He wasn't interested in a family and that sort of thing. You get the two main guys who are just really not interested in this life anymore and really want to settle down, and it's their journey towards realizing that plus other conflicts you get everyone has a little journey um yeah. it, they weren't necessarily at each other's throats because of the journey but i think the camaraderie in this is what makes it stand out a little bit
1: absolutely and th- and that definitely works their chemistry is wonderful all these guys mm. are fucking fantastic together
0: and yet apparently um, i had y- never y- seen yul, yul brenner in yul- anything y- else yul brenner and um how was his name the other the other main guy steve yeah Steve McQueen. queen sorry couldn't stand each other
2: and in real life. They, yeah, they had oh, wow. beef
0: for years after this film because wow. uh, Steve McQueen, McQueen kept standing. I mm-hmm. uh, kept like stealing the background of shots on Yul Brenner.
1: Oh, because he's just wow. He's just bringing that yeah. behavior in there. It's just so interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I was noticing their acting. Uh, I couldn't help but just think about um, how all these guys were trained. Uh, Yul Brenner is a heavy checkoff guy, and that's a very specific yeah. style of acting. Not to go too deep dive here, but it was interesting watching. Uh, you don't see many people who have that kind of training. I liked what he did. I thought it was very interesting, but I'm glad you said that because I was noticing Bronson and McQueen in the background mm. a lot. They were just doing yeah. something. Everybody you know, started doing it. We're going to get into this with the apartment heavy, but we can talk about it right now. Can of introduce it? This is like a bridge of time with acting technique and it was affecting the way movies were being made. And I think you could kind of see that even in some of this stuff, which I, mm. again, I feel like was kind of like family fantasy, Western style.
3: Mm.
0: Um, also, this this movie still had a uh, a dialogue director, and I had to look up what that was. Um, what, is that? Yeah, ah, a, tell me, what is that? It's it's a, uh, during the transition from silent films to talkies, a dialogue director was hired to coach the performers how to deliver their lines for camera because some uh, of these guys didn't have a voice for, hmm. like, performing on camera because it had been silent films up until this point, and some of them had, like, really bad, annoying voices. They make, They make jokes about it in, like, animated shows like Family Guy and simpsons a lot like where the, <laughs> the, cool. the guys pr- progressed from like silent talkies and they just couldn't cut it because their voice the the family just, guy one's really good yeah the guy's
2: voice is like really high pitched. it's, it's
0: really bobcat galway's doing that isn't it yeah
2: it's bobcat yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's such a joke. Not the first Bobcat joke. We're family guy. Um, So, you know what? So what I love, too, is is obviously John and I have acting backgrounds. Dave has literally done every single technical job on a film. And he has acted in many films, too. Um, but to John's point about, about the acting, first of all, let's give a shout out to the cast. Just so obviously there was a remake recently, by the way, with um, Denzel Washington and Chris Pratt. We would not recommend that film. No disrespect to the actors. But listen to this cast. So you have Yul Brenner in the lead. You have Ellie Wallach, who is considered to be one of the better character actors of the time. You have Steve McQueen, who was a huge, huge star and, and very... Well, he was an up-and-comer still at that point, but very attractive. He's very well-known. Horace Buchholz was also another very famous, internationally known character actor. Charles Bronson, who was a... I don't know how ripped he was. He was like big compared to everybody in this, but he, had, he was a yeah, star of a bunch of Westerns too. Hmm. Robert Vaughn, who we'll later see in Bullet. You have James Coburn. Um, you have a couple... Yeah, very recognizable people at the time. So the, the cast is really good, but... I, this is a weird This is a weird anecdote to pull on, but when Jerry Bruckheimer and Gore Verbinski were casting Pirates of the Caribbean, they thought, you know what we should do? We need to cast somebody that would be unexpected, that you wouldn't think would be a pirate, because if we play into the pirate trope, it's just going to be another sh- stupid, childish movie. Let's get somebody completely out of the box, so that way it'll really feel like this pirate isn't even in the pirate community anymore, and so they cast Johnny Depp. I feel like Yul Brenner is not exactly the same thing as that, but a little background on Yul Brynner is a huge theater actor, as John sort of alluded to. Uh, he didn't have a ton of credits, and then all of a sudden, in, in films, and then in 1956, four years before our current films take place, he has *The King and I*, which won an Oscar for Best Actor, mm-hmm. *The Ten Commandments*, where he plays Ramses, and *Anastasia*, where he plays the general, so the villain in two of the movies, and the Westworld sort of, was in like, there
0: somewhere as well, wasn't it?
2: Um, not on, I'm looking at IMDb and I do not see Westworld on here, Okay. but anyway, so those three movies come out in 1956 and all of a sudden, oh, that's the 70s. He is, yeah. yeah. and with the Oscar, he is the talk of the town. So then in 1958, all of a sudden, all these movies come his way. And I would say if, if you've ever seen the 10 commandments or Anastasia or the 10 or, um, the King and I a western cowboy who rounds up other cowboys like the alpha cowboy is not where you would place yul brenner and as john talked mm-hmm. about he's a he's a um he's a checkoff actor which they do a lot of gesture work a lot of posture work and his posture work it's not stiff but he definitely comes across and even in the movie he's supposed to be creel so he is supposed to be an outcast um sort of outlaw but it's it was it's just the perfect choice because you never really know what he's thinking, you never really know what he's feeling, and I I think that is brilliant. I mean, like um, I would say, Killian Murphy does kind of something like that in mm. *Peaky Blinders*, where it's like the lead of the movie is in charge of everything, and you don't really know what's on their mind, and that just makes this so compelling for a lot of the movie where there's not that much I- action. You go scene by scene, you go on a recruitment mission, recruiting six people. I think there's an alternate version of this movie where by the time they get their seven fucking people, they show up to the town and it's just demolished. (laughs) (laughs) because <laughs> <laughs> like, it took oh, them so long to oh, get all, all these people i think that would be a great alt universe thing of this but if there's anything to say you talk about steve mcqueen everything's great but it's all about yule and i think he does a really good job of anchoring this movie i'm sure i mean that that
0: scene end. just played out of my head where they turn up and the village is destroyed and now i want to make It's that movie. so good it's i like, know
2: <laughs>
1: exactly that, that
0: well, well saloon uh saloon yeah
1: i like so, how. That's what I um, I did like how, and I liked how they used McQueen's character, who was kind of the number two, to to kind of point that out. There are a few times along the way where he uses some like, kept using like funny quotes, you know, little life lessons he picked up. So like when when uh, when Yule gives the guns away, when Eli Wallach holds them up, and you think like, oh, the you know game's up, and he puts down his guns. And McQueen walks up and says, you know, I once knew a man who threw himself into a cactus patch. And when I asked him why he did it, he said it seemed like a good idea at the time. So there were these few (laughs) little lines here and there where McQueen's character kind of tells the audience, like, you're not supposed to know what is going on in Yule's head. But for some reason, we are still following him. So you can follow him, too. So there's no judgment. You don't have to worry. Again, I liked it, but it kind of reminded me the whole time. It was like you never have to worry about anything. Like everything. Everyone is completely in line. Everyone believes in Yule and um which again is great and even in seven samurai like that the the lead samurai like you're never he doesn't falter for a second you never question whether he's gonna fight till he dies so it wasn't there wasn't any judgment for that by any means i did think he uh my goodness there was a lot of low voices in this movie they don't make men like they used to guys i did
0: not know (laughs) yul's
2: i I did not know yul's voice was that low i forgot i I, I know i know it is but man
1: yeah it's a little hormones
0: they're putting in chickens
1: honestly <laughs> dude like all those guys were fucking yeah I mean, it was cool uh charles bronson small part mm. <laughs> weird spanking I do, I do weird spanking, spanking scene the could, spanking
2: I, scene at the end is one of the weirdest spanking scenes i've ever seen in a movie though he like spanks I mean, this boy could, for yeah, speaking could, up.
0: could for you them. could you imagine being that kid and your one film credit as kid spanked by charles bronson yeah,
2: <laughs> I mean, after you get to praise him like, him, your dream, like I, right? think I, I think right? you're great <laughs> sir and he just the spanks dream. the
0: shit out of this kid
2: again i
1: did think that was good for um It might seem kind of obvious, but, like, when you're casting, like, who would be the least likely to have a, you know, a little friendship, paternal friendship kind of thing with with children? Bronson, for sure. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Like, get that that hard-edged, you know, war veteran. Let's get him in here. Let's have him. I I will say, I did laugh pretty hard. (laughs) The way they covered that one scene where they first walk up on him and he's shirtless and he's chopping wood they have they have that <laughs> for a while yeah, he he's trying big. to work this one stump and he clearly can't get it yeah, yeah. and he's like trying to hit it and eventually i don't know he like turned the axe around it was obviously it was just like a technical thing it was like he was done trying to pretend like he was gonna actually be able to chop this stump uh robert vaughn was good had two you know weird scenes that came out of nowhere where he yeah. admits how afraid he is i was like oh yeah. wow i
2: thought he was i thought he was gonna run did you think he was gonna run at the end before he does that heroic thing do you know what I'm talking no, about? No, I, thought, I, you know, I, I knew he was, was
0: empty. At, at one yeah, point, no, he had to come so, back. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, 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 I think so uh, the good thing is in this though, like there are some familiar Western, like it's not a traditional Western story. It's, it's like it's a samurai tale, obviously, but there are yeah, some mm-hmm. like true traditional Western things. Like you've got the a little bit of gunfight, a little bit of gunplay. Mm-hmm. You've got the guy that's you know faster than a gun with his knife. Um, you've got the rule that anytime anyone raises their head slowly and looks up under their hat, someone's going to fucking die. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, <laughs> yeah, they're, cool. they're all, it's all the traditional Western stuff is there and I think, I think it's, it's kind of good. Uh, I did get a really weird vibe on uh, during the opening sequence. Like, the opening of this is great, by the way. Like, they introduced the clear yeah. bad guy yeah. and you know straight up who the bad guys in this film are and who the good guys in the, are in this film. But when they yeah. all the other guys started coming back in from the village after the bad guys left, and they're all just wearing white and a hat, and I started getting this real children of the corn vibe from the fucking village.
2: Yeah, what was with the white? <laughs> yeah, that that has to be a Seven Samurai callback too, because they just wear white clothes I, I, the whole time. Yeah, it just, <laughs> I
0: think it was. Um, I did. Look, my favorite quote in this movie is: uh, "The graveyards are full of people that are both very young and very proud."
3: Yeah,
1: that's that was very cool. good. I really liked their uh, the sequence where they uh, the kid, the young guys, like. I want this, and they all start going around the room, and they're like, "You forgot. You won't have a wife. You won't have a family. You won't yeah. have a place to lay your head. You won't have friends. You won't. And they all kind of start reflecting on what this life is like. That was my. That was probably my favorite moment in the movie, just because if you are into westerns, there's almost always a gunslinger. It's it's John Wayne and John Ford. It's Clint Eastwood yeah. and Leonis. It's and you always have this this archetype of the the lone gunman who is bad but every now and then does something that helps other people out in some weird way. And the context is usually, you know, foiled a little bit by the characters around them. I did like that scene just because I felt like that was them kind of speaking to the genre to say like, hello, we know that we're, we know what we're trying to do here, but what the only reason we're here and that maybe this whole thing is believable is because we are all so ashamed of the fact that we actually have no one but each other. And so I did kind of, that scene was very important to me. It made the movie work for me. Thought that was thought it was
0: powerful. Yeah. I mean, it's a couple like of things the, and in I like, this. Fluid, like modern culture has ruined it for you. It's a, it's like the kids uh, in the mountains when they send the signal and like the kid runs up and waves yeah. his hat and the next kid in the mountain runs up and yeah. waves his hat and the first thing that went through my head was great. Gondor's sending reinforcements. <laughs> and it's, 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 yeah. yeah, no, that's all I thought. So it's, it's, I was like, yeah, it's like, literally, the beacons. It's the, the, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's the beacon signal. Yeah. Like, oh god, no, no. damn you, Lord it's of the so Rings, effective. you ruined me.
1: <laughs> How do you feel like they handled? Um, um, you know, I didn't look up every single actor, but you know, I'm not gonna lie. I went into this expecting like I'm gonna see a lot of white people playing Mexicans, and I, I don't know what ethnicity they were, but it looked like a, it looks like a good amount of the ensemble were not white people dressed up in makeup, which I appreciated. Yeah. I think a they decent amount Mexico. of them probably were, but they're probably it was not paid very much. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked um the guy who played the old man, Vladimir Sokolov, yeah, who was in, a big famous actor. How he gave me hardcore uh, Gladiator vibes. The guy who buys Russell Crowe in <laughs> Gladiator. Yeah,
3: yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> I was getting that great. I thought he was really wonderful. And Eli Wallach, who plays yeah. the ugly in The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Um, he's a wonderful actor. I've always really liked him. It was cool seeing him because it was almost strange. Sometimes, especially movies from this period, I feel like um, villains often get handed s- only tropes and that kind of dialogue. I thought it was interesting that, like you said, Dave, he, it comes it gets established so quickly. And because of that, he kind of ends up being a helm of the movie. I know he's not even there for for most of mm. it. But when he is there, I, th- I don't know. I thought it was really interesting. He wasn't just this terrible bad guy. I thought it was crazy how he was trying to manipulate and see if they could I find mean, a deal. Yeah, that's Which, the again, thing. He was, I he was appreciated the... because I thought he was saying to the audience, like, we are the same Like right now in this yeah. movie you think we're I, they're the good guys and i'm the bad guy but ultimately we're all just gunslingers and we just take what we can i'm trying to make a deal so i i really liked what they did with this character and i thought he fucking nailed it mm. mm-hmm.
2: and i I liked both i like the younger two the, they're two younger guys so everybody else has made mistakes i think we're led to believe that five out of the seven are older again the yule's storyline is really interesting but most of them are older Um, And so they they don't have a lot else going for them. So the $20... They they do put a lot of emphasis on the $20. So what you're talking about, John, with the the honor of the samurai. Yeah, we we know the $20 isn't a lot, but they do put a lot of emphasis on it. So, you know, I guess it's up to the interpretation, but I do love, there's the one tag along they don't really understand what's going on. And then he just finds love. A little convenient, but ultimately it plays. But Steve, Steve McQueen, when he finally gives that little tiny monologue at the end, because Steve McQueen carries films. So to see him in this small bit part role where... I think without even knowing that he was stealing focus, he was trying to steal focus from Yule in the anecdote that John said, I'm not surprised. When he finally says at the end, he's like, you know what? There's a part of me that was just hoping I, I love this place so much that I would just find a plot of land and just move here. And because of my introduction to this town would be heroic, then I would be treated well. And I, I would, you know, it's like to mm-hmm. have that little tiny piece of backstory going into the last battle to go into that final fight. Um, maybe was not typical of Westerns for sure, but it is typical of American movies. And so that was cool because I was worried by the time we finally get to the fight after all these training sequences, I was like, okay, we've seen a little bit of battle, but like, I need some action. I I need this, this last like 10 minute scene. And it was awesome. It really was a great way to close the film. And it wraps up very quick at the end, but I was like, I need a little bit more. And just that one, like 25 second monologue that Steve McQueen gave, I thought was really, really, really nice to get me into that final battle.
1: Yeah. Hmm. And I do like that they gave him, again, you don't know anything about Yule, but I like that you learn uh, immediately at the beginning that McQueen had been in that little town for a little bit and he was working for the grocer. And then right before yeah. he decides to come back, he says that he had gotten like an official job at the at the grocery. And it was like, oh, yeah. so like, no, I, I know I, just, I said what I said, but I do agree with you that he, they tried at least for a few of them to to make it maybe about how desperately poor they were or that, my God, this guy literally... This this talented violent man is going to just end up being a grocer for the rest of his life. That's not possible. You know he's going to have to do something else. Uh, the only yeah. thing technically that I don't know, I don't know if it worked for me. Like just in structure of the movie, the turnaround in the middle from the first attack, um, how grateful and pumped up the villagers are from their victory when they send them away mm-hmm. the first time, right? It, it, and then almost immediately they start. Turning on the the
0: seven i don't know yeah, if that, um, i don't know
1: if i missed something i almost rewound it i was um, like yeah no I? there's
0: a there's a section in there where they're celebrating and the guys have set up they've basically set up a siege up in the mountains and they start shooting at them from a distance and they realize right. that they haven't left and that they're still there and they're not in they're not they haven't beat them but they
1: had said but but right before that i thought you and those guys had said they will be back you can count on it
0: yeah but they're but, still riding we, we high. They're not gonna, like 15 yeah. of them
1: I don't know, because they had just gone around like mm-hmm. the room like telling stories of how like I was okay. so scared and I did such a good job and they were all pumping each other up and patting each other on the back and then they got shot at you know, a handful of times. They killed those three.
3: Hmm.
1: The, the Seven yeah. went out and killed those three. They come back and those guys are fucking scared of shit. I only needed, like I don't know what I needed, but it, it, it was probably teeny tiny that maybe would have connected that a little better for me. That was yeah. the only part where I felt like I was I watching think, a movie. I think
0: the one thing that took me out of it was the uh, the music um occasionally it was really? it definitely felt like they left some of the like samurai music in and at times i was wondering was the composer actually watching the same fucking film he was writing
2: <laughs> uh,
1: honestly dude <laughs> i thought the same thing because i i love elmer bernstein um he wrote um
2: millie He won an oscar for millie
1: millie uh, i mean hmm. so many things um but yeah like Jesus, the, you know Jesus, the, the court, courthouse the, drama atticus finch help me out till a mockingbird that's like one hmm. of my favorite old, old scores and i was watching this and i was thinking the same thing like Did he just read the script and and write? Like, I wonder what order they gave yeah. music
0: to it because i don't know like if they're, the music are me they're riding along a end. river and the, and the music's like dun, 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 dun. it's like this doesn't match at all yeah it's maybe yeah.
2: they just wanted to camp it up it was a little kid the music was a little camp-y. it did feel like yeah.
1: it, it threw it into that family place for me again which yeah. i was like i don't know if them fam- i mean i know it's america so of course america would do this but i don't think families were taking their children to see seven samurai so i don't know why, <laughs> why they didn't try they should have made an adult movie of this but it, again it's oh, it fine
2: there's a lot of death. There's a lot of killing. Uh, I haven't seen it.
1: There's a lot of death, but are you talking about the one last year or two years ago?
0: Oh, oh f- no, no. Sorry. I, I mistook what you meant when you said it. Up, I'm sure so. they
2: did. Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> <That's-> <laughs> they made a All right, The guys. Magnificent <laughs> Seven. Look. I, I'm, I'm sure you all have a little the more to say about it. Uh, I, I, don't I don't know. I don't know what like, it was called. I feel like we're coming around. I feel like we've given this a pretty good endorsement. Diggler, it is available stars. for free. It's available for free on Prime. Um... If you no, have I a subscription, obviously. Any anything else that we left on the table? I feel like that was a good place to leave it. I think you should see it. It's not exactly the western if you just need to see a western, but yeah. it, it covers some of that ground. There's some good stuff in there. Anything else? Awesome. Well, without further ado, we're gonna yeah, sure. we're gonna Give send it, it off to a yeah. break so that I can replace no, this peeler with the fucking bottle opener. Um, and <laughs> and we're gonna talk about. <laughs>
0: Seriously, for five minutes it's before like it, it that, it looks orange. It looks like pillow. a carrot. No, for he five so minutes, you've been. I was like, hoping he was, was
2: going to make his face.
1: I was hoping He's he was going to make his noise or shame. play a jingle when I opened a beer. I was like, Why or something. you so upset? You know,
2: anyway, so this is going to be the Oscar winner for Best Picture, 1960. <laughs> Billy Wilder, who, by the way, won six Oscars in his life. Billy Wilder's *The Apartment*. Coming up. See you soon, film fan. And we're back we're back, we're back. We're back. Whoa. we are back i, think I my brain just
0: off- came out my nose from the headphones yeah, I'm
2: so loud. i might have <laughs> just i might have just it's overloaded much. my microphone and your ears okay. guys we are back i hope you had a good time listening to us talk about the magnificent seven i'm hoping you're drinking along with us because we are going to be talking about billy wilder's the apartment somehow a sex comedy in the 1960s. Somehow, or I guess technically the, the end of the 50s, break of the 60s here. A sex comedy from 1960, The Apartment, which stars Jack Lemon, who is 35, although in 1960, 35 looks a whole lot like 55. <laughs> he is... <laughs> <laughs> he is a man who tries to rise in his company... By letting its executives use his apartment for trysts, that means fucking, but complications <laughs> and a romance of his own ensue. That is the short version. The longer storyline is mild-mannered CC Baxter, that's Jack Lemmon, has been working at Consolidated Life, an insurance company, for close to four years. I don't know what he was doing from ages 22 to 30. doesn't matter. And is one of close to 32,000 employees located in their Manhattan head office. 32,000. They talk about this all the time in the movie. 32,000 employees.
0: I mean, hats off for them knowing stats without having to look them up on their iPhone. How
2: about that? Yeah. To distinguish himself from all the other lowly cogs in the company. (laughs) We can't do that. He hopes to move up the corporate ladder, and in doing so, he lets the executives in the company, who could possibly offer him a promotion, use his apartment for affairs on their wives. Which just happens to be located off of Central Park West. It is a very big one bedroom apartment that somehow a lowly insurance salesman can afford this ridiculous apartment that today would probably be like thirty five hundred dollars a month. Well, the,
0: the rent was eighty five dollars a fucking month. I mean, yes,
2: I did. Yes, me that's and right.
0: my me and my wife are sitting there. We nearly fell out of our chair when he said what the rent was.
2: Right. Yeah. Well, when well when women and people of color can't earn money because it's nineteen sixty, I guess. Uh, Ugh. even I feel weird making that point, but that's get in there. Get in there and make it okay. uncomfortable. <laughs> all right. So anyway, he lets his all all of these executives are cheating on their wives in his apartment. That is the story. And then he ends up falling for the elevator girl, Shirley McLean, um, who it turns out may be involved with one of the other executives in the office, while Jack Lemon is trying to very sweetly Hit on her. That's the pitch. I think it's pretty fun. It's basically Neil Simon that turns very, very quickly into Requiem for a Dream. Um,
0: (laughs) It's it's pretty funny and a little dark.
2: Yeah. If you guys know Promises Promises um, or, I guess, Thoroughly Modern Millie or a lot of these comedies that because of the way that they're delivered, they seem very nonchalant and casual. But really, they are sex comedies about people who cheat on their wives and how it's totally okay. And the wives are crazy for being freaked out by it. So it has a little bit of that going on it, but it is self-aware. I think, I think it's just self-aware enough. It's just self-aware enough. But anyway, that's where I'm going to leave it. Who wants to take it from there? Dave, it was, I see I you kitchen
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. to say some. I'll, I'll tell you, uh, I'm not entirely sure this was the uh, the movie to watch the day after my first wedding anniversary. Um, oh but, right! Uh, <laughs> so we sat down and watched it together. Uh, but there's some really like interesting things in it, in that uh, like for the the insurance floor where they just they put him right in the middle of like it's literally hundreds of people.
2: It feels and like it, a it musical. Makes, it,
0: yeah, it makes him feel tiny. And uh, but apparently, in shooting that scene, the studio wasn't as big as that room was, so they used forced perspective at the back, and oh, cool. all, the peop- all the people, all the people at the back are kids in suits, and they shrunk the desks as they go backwards,
1: wow, to make it seem Holy smaller. Shit. Yeah, so
0: there's a whole forced perspective cool. thing in that office. Yeah, like, um, so I, I like little things like that. But like, that's just one thing that just makes this movie good. It's it's funny. <clears throat> It's damn funny. Like the it's jokes funny, land, yeah. and then it, like it turns a little dark, and then it gets like the jokes get a little bit further. But like with the opening of this movie, I had a couple of times where I laughed out loud.
2: There's mm-hmm. a line early on where one of these girls that's dating the executive who's married goes, y- "You bring other girls up here," and he goes, "Of course not. I'm a happily married man." Yes, <laughs> and she's a mistress. It, and it's she, like and there's a yeah, lot of those. And that's
0: an appropriate <laughs> answer, apparently
2: yeah very Neil Simon. Yeah. Um, I should have stayed in bed this morning. I should have stayed in bed last night. There's like a lot of those kinds of like <laughs> yeah. lines that are kind of good singers.
0: it's this is basically the movie of the world's first and most deviant Airbnb. yes,
2: yeah. <laughs> that's exactly that's exactly right. Um, Johnny, uh,
1: yeah, I mean, I adore this movie. I know I have mentioned this before on this podcast. Billy Wilder is without a doubt, my favorite classic Hollywood director. really? Um, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, without a fucking doubt dude i may have made that point a million times before but i don't give a fuck i think it is earned listen to what's this your favorite double Dub- Dublin- to the apartment Go ahead. yeah Sun- sunset boulevard is my favorite
2: right okay that's yeah um,
1: but leading up to this so he has double indemnity in 44 lost yeah. weekend in 45 um a foreign affair in 48 sunset boulevard 50 ace in the hole stalag 17 S- sabrina a witness for the prosecution which is the fucking incredible courtroom drama And then Some Like It Hot, boom, 59, 60, The Apartment. I mean, this guy, he's just, and he wrote all these movies with, he had a a partner every time he wrote them. But to expand what you guys are talking about, I feel like he's, he referred to uh, Ernst Lubitsch, who he assistant directed for before he started doing his own stuff. And that guy was just kind of a comedic genius. Um, If you watch all of these movies, it doesn't matter if it's technically a drama or technically a comedy. He understands how to blend those elements and all of them which is why he is infamous for talking about how whenever they were writing stuff and whenever they were in production he never let anyone mm. refer to genre he didn't let anyone say we're making a comedy which is why i think he gets away with i think this the apartment might be the best example of it he understands that to let people inside on a story especially to relate to a character especially when you know they know something that we don't know they're going to be dealing with heavy elements of suicide we're, we're ready to laugh about mistresses and infidelity yeah, which is kind of fucked up and i think he knows that when I mean, we're kind of you know he's satirizing that at the beginning we don't know that we're going to have to deal with the consequences of that we don't know what's going to turn into that drama so i think he is just this movie is a perfect example of his genius, of being able to invite you in with laughs, and incredible acting. His casting is always, always wonderful. I think Jack Lemmon is absolutely incredible in this movie. But that middle sequence, when she, when Shirley McQueen tries to overdose, after Fred McMurray has been lying to her, and she finally figures it out, and she decides to take a bunch of sleeping pills, there's this huge sequence in the middle where Jack Lemmon basically has to nurse her back to health for two days. And the movie feels like, a different movie, and I don't mean that in a in a bad way. It works for me. I think it. I think it fits fucking perfectly into this puzzle, and it turns the screw just enough so that the rest of this world that you had been kind of like thrust into, with these men in suits and the insurance companies laughing and joking about all these women they're fucking, and you never see their wives, you never hear their wives' names. There's that one line that Jack Lemmon has. Where Fred McMurray says, you know, it would be unfair to, yeah. it's it's just an unfair thing to yeah, do. Yeah, and Jack Lemmon yeah. says, especially for your wife, sir. And then they just like yeah. blow yeah. right past it, like yeah. like it's the only time anyone ever mentions anyone's wife. Um, mm. I think I think Wilder also understood, which is I could not stop thinking about this. I mentioned it in the Magnificent Seven conversation. There are different styles of performance in this movie. I think I think Wilder and Jack Lemmon. I don't I don't I doubt it was conscious. I doubt they sat down and said, let's talk about this. But they have a lot of that presentational, gimmicky, very clever dialogue style of acting in the beginning. And then this middle section, Shirley MacLaine's voice fucking drops right on her diaphragm. They're whispering to each other. They're having intimate conversation. Even Jack Lemmon's style shifts, and his voice drops like an octave. Yeah, I'm gushing. (laughs) I don't fucking care.
2: Yeah, we got the gush!
1: We got the gush. gush! All day for this movie! Jack Lemmon's voice... Jacqueline's voice drops ahead. like a fucking octave when he's talking with her. And it, it feels so different and it connects. So I also feel like Billy Wilder understood that like there is a way to do that presentational thing. And with good writing, you can still make it serious. But we're also moving into a different area where he had, he had more tools to play with at this point. There was a lot of realism in the middle of this movie. Hmm. Do you agree with that, Jeff, yeah. especially from like an acting perspective? Do you guys think that?
2: Yeah, it. it Yeah. This is another time where Jeff says this seems yeah, like a play. It does. And I've already said yeah, it, it seems it like a musical, but especially, especially, and, and Dave, you could talk about the production design too. Is the the how they they show the apartment to be open, so it doesn't look like it's on a film set. Mm. You can see multiple rooms at the same time, so it does feel like I'm a space mistaken. that they're this, actually this living in. This Through too, that, didn't yep, yep. Mm. Um. Yeah. And and. Director, yeah, writing, <laughs> best picture. Yeah. Um, but but yes, t- yes, John, to your point, it, it feels like two people that are that are interacting in their homes as opposed to they're playing on a set. Which like the, the rest of the movie does feel inspect. like. That.
1: Yeah. That's why it was so interesting to me. I feel like he knew they knew exactly what they were doing because it did yep. it 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 sunk into something else. Dave, I want to ask you about yeah because I when I when I got obsessed with Wilder and I started watching interviews, I wasn't surprised to learn this, but when I first was just watching his movies. I couldn't stop thinking about how like the example you gave is a, is a perfectly good example. Uh, perfectly good example. All of his, his design is, is sexy, but he does not move his camera very much. He is not a showy director. and mm. When you watch his interviews, he's very, very against showy directors. He does not believe the camera should move unless it absolutely has to. He thinks, cast your actors, set yeah. that fucker he'll, still, he'll and sit, let's have a good script and let yeah, them go to work.
0: He'll sit the camera somewhere and let the actor come to it.
1: But it is always in the perfect place. Yeah. So even a moment in the middle, there's a moment in the middle where it's not the most genius way to do this, um, but the way he milks it, uh, where Jack Lemmon finds the mirror. And he realizes, folks at home, you don't need to know all the details, but this is the clue that Jack Lemmon finally has where he realizes Shirley MacLaine is hooking up with his boss.
2: He
0: nailed that realization too.
1: And he nailed it.
2: Yeah, that's one of those, film, one of those film moments. Film moments. And yet, you loved.
1: guys, I don't know how... There were three setups. There were, it was mm. a wide shot of the, of the whole thing, yeah. uh, yep. of the room. It cut across to look at her, and then it cut to this close-up of Jack when he was just looking at the mirror. And it, that was all that was necessary. And really good dialogue underneath, where she says that line, it, it makes me feel how... Uh, I see myself how I feel. Or I can't remember what the line is. Mm. Um, so it also was just a fucking lesson in... You know, these guys are not... Scorsese, you know, they're not Tarantino, they're not these more contemporary auteurs. These guys, all the people from back then made like 50, 60 movies in their career. They're pumping out like one a year. So mm-hmm. they didn't have 5 years between projects to to think up all this stuff. So they needed all of their movies to make money, to stay valuable in within their contracts. And I just feel like he is the master of you were entertained in this movie. Yeah. I think anyone could sit down and be entertained. Also, also to put it and in yet, a modern, it's going to go deeper
0: in a modern context. Um, it's it's kind of similar to Boogie Nights. Uh, it's to a lesser extent Wolf of Wall Street, and also the movie Falling Down. Yes, um, yeah. where hey, then, it's yeah, then, in particular Falling Down, because at the beginning that like he gets angry and just leaves his car and goes on a rampage across the city, telling people what he really thinks, and just. And it, you're along for the ride and you're like, this is great. And it's the same. It's like these guys are having these flings and it, they're being all showy about it. And you're like, and then you the consequences full in the face and it hits yes. you. And you're like, this is not cool. It's like that, the moment where he, in falling down, where he lets the guy like die basically on the golf course. Yeah. And that's where you're like, it's, it's a moment of realization for you as an audience member. It's like, I shouldn't be yep, like on the, his side at all. Yeah. And, I like, Levin plays it so well as well that by the end of the movie, you're almost screaming at the screen. It's like, just tell them the fucking truth. Yeah. Tell them the truth. Dump these guys in it. Because you're taking the hit for people who do not give a shit about you. Like, it, yeah, it, it made me angry, and I think it was supposed to.
2: Yeah.
1: Do you think that... I was trying to think, do you guys yeah. have any suggestions? For, I mean, that is a good example of uh, falling down on the other movies you mentioned, but I was trying to think of a, of a contemporary equivalent for someone who who blends genre really well, specifically like this, who uses comedy and really talented actors and and complex scripts, but there are comedic elements that invite you in and then they turn the screw. I I was trying to think of a good contemporary example of that because a lot of our comedic directors and actors usually stay within their genre. Like Judd Apatow never goes too much deeper than his jokes. The material is there. You know what he's trying to say and it kind of stays there the whole time. I'm not saying it's not... It doesn't have um, any kind of
0: depth. some some of James Gunn's work to an extent does that
1: mm-hmm no, that's pretty yeah, that's pretty good, yeah, example.
0: things like slither, uh where it starts off all fun and games and it ends just completely disgusting um yeah
3: mm.
2: maybe nothing yeah. with the quite the romance though of this that like that not not just the romance is in the love story, but just like. That lush, kind of magical, like kind of draw think, you in. I think
1: you mentioned a, it, but I think a personal level. Some of Paul's early work, Paul Thomas Anderson, like Boogie Nights is kind of a good example. Like it does mm. Punch Drunk Love. Punch drunk Love. Maybe Punch, maybe punch and Drunk
2: and Love. It's a romance, and but it's also yeah, what a thriller. you know It's like, of other you know, the, that the right
0: party's right. happening and then the lights come on and the party's over. And then you have to deal yeah. with the consequences. And yeah, that's fuck. exactly yeah. what this movie does. Just honest. I mean, were you guys, how uncomfortable are you?
2: Maybe, maybe, Men- maybe Mendes, M- Mendez but Mendes never yeah, I don't really. I he's good. more like sincere uh, well, maybe, drama. Maybe Did you right. have
1: one in mind specifically? Because he's yeah, I feel like I, he's so heavy. No. Um,
2: um, American Beauty or even American Away, Beauty, away you know We that, Go. I mean, maybe, yeah. but not, still not gotta, quite the same. It's still so
1: dark initially, though. Whereas like this, like you just feel like, oh, this sad guy, and he's so he's just so jovial. He's yeah. so fucking charming.
2: The way the way the way this one turns on your head, where it really, it's like. It's like how to succeed. Like, I can't believe Jack Lemon didn't have a song in the first 30 minutes, like with how it, it was set up and everything. Um, and you know what else Billy Wilder's really good at this is is people always talk about with directors, it's almost annoying when everybody's like, Well, it's his attention to detail. And you're like, Of course it's his fucking <laughs> attention to detail that makes him better than everybody else. But but one thing that's really interesting is is Jack Lemon's neurotic. So he keeps leaving and he keeps forgetting things that you, the audience, see. And it gives you that moment of kind of like, oh, he left the glove. And then Jack Lemmon stops and comes back and gets the glove, but the camera isn't indicative. It doesn't show like Jack leaving and then come back and then it gets hectic. Like A lot of American comedies nowadays are just a little hectic where it's moving so much. Because, as John, you were talking about the still frame, when the actor leaves, it's weird to not follow them. And even at the time, it's not a traditional master, so it's not just like they exit stage right. It's like you can see him walking towards the door, but you can still see the glove, so is the audience... Maybe this is hard no, to understand yeah. in a podcast, but it's like it's all i'm saying is there's not a scene where where a scene is like okay it's time to end and we move on there's always something that's got you hooked there's I mean, always even if it's just a little he's detail, notorious like, something for something that the hook was forgotten or lost that's is. that's a signature that. move
0: yeah uh, apparently yeah. Uh, jack lemon for years after this movie people would come up to him and ask him for the key
2: yeah which is of course <laughs> really i was thinking about the tissues do you remember do you remember when he leaves he, he's like kind of sick and so he yeah. leaves the tissues on the desk of yeah, his boss's good desk detail. and then he he's like literally he's literally out the door and then he looks and then he like runs back in and takes the tissues off the desk and then walks away and it's just I again mm. I, I don't know what this sounds like at home to you listening but it's just as an audience member you're like Oh shit, they're good. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, there's. I a mean, he talks all the time. Like, wow, that's he good. All the no, go ahead,
0: Dave. Go ahead. Uh, no, I was gonna say there's a couple of things as well where uh, you see exactly how much times have changed. Like when he's walking down the street with her, and he says, "Oh, it's right around the corner from where you live," and she's like, "How do I? How do you know where I live?" And he's like, "Oh, I pulled your insurance card. I know this. Yeah, I know that. Her. I know your social security number." I'm like, "I'm sorry." Yep. That that conversation <laughs> these days will get you fucking maced and a and a restraining order. It's yep, but she she quickly. took it she took it in stride. She's like, "Surely, yeah, great."
2: Shirley McLean was wonderful, fantastic. Wonderful. In oh. this she's a, it's Jack Jack <laughs> Lemmon is by far. The, he's he's obviously the lead, but he's the central storyline, and she's sort of is um she's the lesson in a way, I guess like a Mm. lot is happening to her. And so she makes some decisions that she has to sort of deal with and other people have to deal with it around her. So she has a tricky role. Let's put it that way. But whether she's being nonchalant, whether it's, whether there's stakes she just is really, really hmm. good, especially for 1960. They both like. Everybody they both talks have about a brand. I, I love it. I love at the, the beginning but...
0: though. She plays it really sprightly and alive. Like yeah, she's definitely. She has more personality than the other elevator operators. She knows everyone's name. She's doing little. She's yeah, doing little it's, like it's flourishes it's little and embellishments to in the with the. And it it just makes yeah. when you find out what's going on with her, it makes it all the more like brutal. For it's like oh, this happy, yeah, fantastic character that I really loved at the beginning yeah, of this again, movie, has a, again, like it's a like, dark side. But when he, at the end of the, like near the end of the film, when he hands her that money ooh. and she sells the whole thing, like you know exactly where this is going from a look. Yep. And it's, it's, it's a phenomenal yep. performance. You can yeah. really tell when someone's in it. Like you, she communicated exactly what the next 30 minutes of the movie was going to be with one look.
1: Yeah, really powerful. And yeah. Jeff, to your point, I feel like she, Did- again, that's why that's why it's so brilliant is because this whole movie is obviously jack's perspective until that sequence happens when when she tries to commit suicide and within that huge sequence you start to see things through her perspective so it's almost like you were jack yeah and you kind of you know i'm not everybody knew what, what the deal was you knew he was kind of a little a little pathetic maybe a little bit of a sucker maybe a little bit too too hard with work and he was letting people take (laughs) advantage of him right
3: (laughs) he gave his apartment without a doubt right without a doubt
1: and then by the time you're with her long enough even though she is the sick one and jack is taking care of her you start to see jack through her eyes and then suddenly you realize wait i am her
3: yeah so that by the time
1: she leaves that scenario you are following her lesson as well she has her own story that is completely her own by the time you get there when they introduce her she doesn't you think she is going to be somebody's girlfriend or one of the mistresses, and we're just going to watch her get her heartbroken. We didn't know we were going to get our heartbroken and make that decision on New Year's with her. Yeah. It's super, super surprising. Um, mm.
2: I have to. I'm gonna. I'm gonna push a little bit towards the end. Everybody at home, watch this movie. It's fantastic. Did the last 15 minutes work for you? Or did they get a little so that's Hollywood a, eyes? So that's a, a little I Hollywood wanted to ask you about that
1: because that is a um, Billy Water infamously never writes his final acts until they're filming. So they usually have an idea of how they want to end it, but they, yeah. once they get the original first two in the can, they, they're writing as they go with that last part, because they want to see if everything worked up until then, and they usually try to wrap it up. It feels different, and I know what you mean. I would not judge anyone if they said it felt like a different part of the movie. I don't know if it wrapped up too cleanly. Did it literally j- bother you um, the entire last 10 or 15, or was it just the final moment on the couch?
2: No, I wouldn't mind just the final moment if there were like three different scenes with resolute callbacks. There was like, I'm leaving to be a mensch. And I was like, that's not even that good of a callback. And then there there were like three different comeuppances that happened in a row that were just a little too clean. So if it was just the final couch moment, I actually would have been like 1960 and it doesn't resolve the way you want it to Or, you know, like, fine. Great. I love that. But the fact that there was one with the boss and one with her and one with him, like the fact that there were a bunch and they were all so clean, it was almost like, no, we want to wrap these up and everybody feels good at the end. It was too much. I I, I know what you mean. But it was only like five minutes. So it's worth watching the rest of the movie. This this. is
1: a very specific observation. But... The only reason why it didn't feel too happy ending Hollywood for me is that they literally don't kiss this entire movie. They don't touch each other the entire time, even when it's the happy ending and she runs yeah, okay. to him at the end.
2: I'm, I'm okay with uh, yeah, that. Yeah, I
1: don't know. I didn't. I know what you mean, though. Like, it does feel a little bit like, all right, let's wrap this up. Let's have everybody make their decisions and let's get them back together and have them learn their lessons. I didn't
0: get that at all. By the time I got to that point, I wanted that. Great. I wanted that. Yeah, and, I was, and I was yeah, given yeah, that and totally. I walked away happy.
1: And the fact that he's leaving Great. the apartment nailed it for me. That's why I was totally, if he had not been leaving the apartment, he was the exact yeah, same yeah, yeah. and she ran back to him. I would have been weird. But the fact that they were both in transit by the end of it emotionally, I thought like, and even then, again, they right. don't kiss. And they, she doesn't say, I love you back to him. So no. still, it did work for me where I was like, yeah. okay, like this is the beginning, Okay, but I know what Great. you mean. I know what you mean. I do want to say just one last comment about the uh, and shout out about how you were saying, like, how does it, you know, with the glove comment, like, how do, how do we follow that as audience members? Dave, I wanted to ask you if you agree with me on this. He chose to shoot this in black and white, and the studio said, why are you doing that? And he was like, fuck you, I'm doing it in black and white. And they were like, okay. It's moments like that that I think they were able to get away with, with really wonderfully designed black and white cinematography and production design. We saw that, that uh, glove on the coffee table because it was white. And, because of everything was yeah. the way they lit everything in that one yeah. shot, it was it was kind of all you were looking at. it was It was the other counterpoint of the frame with the doorway and Jack. And so when he left, there was this stark thing on the coffee table that was totally subconscious until the door closed. And it was the only white thing in the bottom part of the frame. So, I wonder also if there's because i I have heard those old Hollywood directors talk all the time about how much more they were able to do within the frame in terms of storytelling without moving the camera for all this crazy coverage because of black and white cinematography Dave do you feel like there's do you, were, you pick, were you thinking about any of that kind of stuff at all after watching this or um, when I you mean, watch I, these I, old movies I,
0: vague, I vaguely noticed it happening but by that point I was too wrapped up in what was going on to yeah. to pay too much attention to it but I mean you can do the same thing in color um it's just yeah it's contrast is what you're looking for there and they nailed it like both, yeah. all of those shots, like with the shot from the phone where she's walking up to the phone. It's like, that's what I, what mm. I said before. He puts his camera in a place and lets the actor find it.
1: Yes, yes. Mm. I mean, a lesson for all of yeah, us too, right? Great. Like we all want to move our camera and we want the one We want to do all this stuff. And then you just, you watch old movies like this and you're like, I guess all you really need is economical and appropriate camera placement, a good script and really good actors and you're probably mm-hmm. gonna get people to enjoy your yeah. enjoy i mean themselves. There's, there's no you're not one reinventing the wheel yeah, there's
0: no one tool for every job, but sometimes that technique really, really works, yeah, and especially for something like comedy it, it uh, the like this I feel like the more static your camera is um and you rely on cuts, it works and I mean this was also uh, was nominated for editing and won I believe
1: mhm I did I also wanted to give a-, ca- a shout out to um. His inspiration for this movie came from one of my absolute favorite movies, David Lean's A Brief Encounter. Mm. Uh, before he uh, made fucking Lawrence of Arabia. Noel Coward, Noel Coward yeah. Is it is was it, when he was basement. he made like five or six Noel Coward films early in his career. David Lean, right after he's transitioned from editing to directing. And a brief encounter is one of the greatest romances ever fucking made. It's Casablanca level. And Billy it's Wilder saw written, it, he was yeah. so inspired by it. And he walked away thinking, what happened to the guy? Because at one point the, prote- the the guy that she's hooking up with the brief encounter asked his friend if he can use his apartment because he's seeing this this wife, this, one, this wife that he met at a train yeah. station. And he was like, I wonder what yeah, happened. You know, what about that guy? But just in general, I just love that Billy Wilder saw a movie that is just so wonderful and has so much romance and it's so dark. And it is that underbelly that clearly Billy Wilder is interested in. All of his movies are about the kind of mischievous, darker side of, regular humans that we don't really talk about yeah i'm gushing
2: I'm. <laughs> oh that's two gushes in the same segment that's two weeks in a row for you I'm good john at you're a fucking gusher man you I'm gush this is a positive film podcast and, and john is a he's gusher living it.
0: he's living the dream
2: that is so two happy. gush alarms it was a it was a
1: Did you guys ever seen this, this is before was, was this your film. first time this
0: is the first time i would seen this and, I'm, and yeah. I'm so glad i did Billy, like but... this I, I couldn't find I, I i think anyone in my circle of friends who wouldn't enjoy this movie
1: meaning right, right. all of his movies are like that too good i'm so Same. glad we watched it thank guys, you for letting me make how, you guys watch this <laughs>
2: how how fun is that holiday party the holiday party oh. at this company everybody there's making out they're dancing on tables the punch is spiked it is what happened, yeah. would, what, happened, arousing, what happened to holiday parties? What happened to a rousing chorus of
3: uh,
1: the last Jingle good work bells. party I saw was in uh, the Santa Claus. Remember his Christmas party? That looked pretty fun when we were kids. The Santa
2: Claus, <laughs> are you kidding me? Yeah, the last good work party. So no, but maybe think like of Wolf of Wall Street.
1: Uh, oh my god, <laughs> yeah. Fuck, yeah, it did make me think of uh, Mad Men. Right. maybe after the 80s, yeah.
2: after the 80s, people said, and now after me too, we're never having the holiday parties yeah. again, but. Oh my Especially God. knowing that all of those makeouts, somebody was cheating on somebody else in this movie. But those that holiday party was fun.
1: It did look super fun. <laughs> but again,
2: to Billy Wilder, that's why it's so great that that's where the moment of realization happens at the holiday party where everybody's having such a good time. And then Jack Lemon's world gets... And, and she's in a bad mood too and for it, a different it's reason. His it's his highest. It's
1: it's, he had just got promoted. Yeah. It's his absolute tip-top. Boom! Oh, God, mm. it's just good storytelling. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. 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 Anyway, anyway, watch The Apartment. It's on Prime as well for free this, this is we are just promoting amazon and and <laughs> maybe maybe someday in the future they're going to pay taxes for amazon. all the roads they use because i'm pretty sure their trucks use roads so I mean, I don't i'll, know why I'll they turn a to blind eye if they want to
0: sponsor trucks. us you're yeah. right. That cast me on a show you despite you everything, everything
2: I said.
1: Sponsorship to the love of cinema Pod We will, yeah. we will
2: Jeff, I know Jeff, Balls I know you court. shit all over that Netflix show, but it's totally fine by us. You just have to stop talking about Jeff Bezos not paying taxes. Okay, fans. <laughs> it is that's it. Billy Wilder's the apartment, available on Prime, for your subscription. <laughs> Dave, are you ready to hype us up for what? the fuck we are going to be watching next week we haven't even cursed that much that who the fuck are we this week we are, we are just like,
0: we go back to the 60s and look what happens
2: <laughs> we are film fans all right dave let's do it let's 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 do it all right also, Dave, uh, my mom really likes listening to your voice on last week's podcast. She wanted me to tell you that. Oh, what year are thanks. we doing this year? This next
0: week? <laughs> Why would you throw a curveball like that? Oh,
2: <laughs> Right yeah. in the
1: middle of the yeah. little introduction yeah. sound. He yeah. just fucking bulldozed that little
3: noise.
0: I mean, that's fine. Hi, Jeff's mom. All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, All right, Dave. Well, yeah, <laughs> that was extremely inappropriate. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, oh, John's not going to be happy. We're coming back to the 2000s. Great. Love
2: right at cool, the end cool. the scale,
0: 2018.
1: Oh, my God. Oh yeah, are I know. It's, serious? It's like a year <laughs> That's before we started.
2: crazy. Oh, my God. Let, wow. This is a yeah. huge year. Well, we have a lot to unpack, film fans. We are going to do this off the mic to save us three minutes of contemplating annoying shit for you. So we are going to take a break. We're going to talk about it, and we will see you in 10 seconds to tell you about our third film from 1960. See you soon. we're back. <laughs> At the end of this segment, we are going to let you know the th- the name of the three films that we are going to discuss next year from the film year 2018. But first, we need to finish 1960. We needed a redemption film. We thought about Little Shop of Horrors is actually pretty 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 decent film. We also talked about the Alamo the John yeah. Wayne directorial we debut. Like, we were we and we
1: were dead uh, set yeah. on it. We were like, oh, that's we perfect. Let's we'll do it. it. And then we looked up the length.
2: Yeah, <laughs> it was like two hours and forty minutes. And we we're like, yeah, no, for no, a directorial no, 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 no. feature.
0: Yeah, for our redemption,
2: our directorial feature redemption segments. I'm not watching a two hour and forty four minute movie. I'm just not fucking doing it anymore. We've done yeah, it in no, the past. No, Chitty no, Chitty no. Bang Bang was two hours and twenty five minutes. It's just never gonna happen again. That is a long so acid chose, trip. So we chose a nice tight. One hour, 25 minute film from 1960 directed by William Castle, who would go on to produce Rosemary's Baby in 1968. He is a contemporary of Roger Corbin. The two of them were known for very, very low budget horror films. They tried to do gags and gimmicks in the theater, as I talked about before, where they would have Mm. skeletons and screams live in the theater in the 50s. Um, So 1960 comes along. And he does this film called 13 Ghosts, right? I will say the 13 ghosts are seen (laughs) in this film. You will see all of them. They sound just like the aliens from Toy Story. (laughs) The claw. that's exactly how these ghosts sound in the film. Yeah. Yeah. he is soon yeah, to be uh, outdone me, by. Yeah, don't,
0: don't get me wrong. You see them in the first two minutes of this film because they sit there and oh, like Correct. the first. My first impression of this oh, was, god, oh my terrible. fucking god, they're gonna make you go through all thirteen they're, of these because the, the, go- go- like, oh, the ghost just comes at you with a, <laughs> oh, no. And they did it that's, with that's that's a, a number. Point. It's got a little number oh. in the corner. It's like put a fucking they football went,
2: Two and you're like, oh my god, Terrible. thirteen more. You basically, Terrible. they should just say, everybody count backwards from a hundred, and then we're gonna start. That's basically what they should have done. Yeah. Anyway, you, you can be this late. To this
0: a- movie is what we're saying.
2: Yeah, I, I Castle and, and Corman kept going while somehow. Somehow um, Alfred Hitchcock cracked the code and then he did Psycho in 1960. And then his films like North by Northwest and Rear Window and stuff, they turned into horror films in the 60s. So they figured out where horror was headed. William Castle was not quite there yet, but this is a horror comedy. It's available for free if you have a Roku device. It's pretty funny, it's pretty short. It's about a family who, you know what? I'll just give you the IMDb here. The short version is a family inherits what proves to be a haunted house. Surprise, surprise! But a special pair of goggles allows them to see their ghostly tormentors. I'm gonna say that again. Dum dum a dum special, dum dum. A special dum. pair of goggles. Goggles, not glasses. Goggles. goggles. He spent
1: years on the lenses
2: allows <laughs> to, to see their ghostly tormentors and the longer version of this is reclusive doctor Zorba has died and left his eerie mansion to his penniless nephew Cyrus Zorba and his family along with the house the Zorba family has also <laughs> inherited the occultist's collection of 13 ghosts apparently that's a collection that he has and and his
0: and his, his housemaid And his housemate, who
2: we're going to talk more about for sure. So the housemate, who they actually refer to as a witch, dot, 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 they refer to as a witch. She comes with the house um, and there are ghosts in the house that can only be seen through the special goggles. The family members, their lives are at risk. They discover. I'll just say it. This is because this comes like halfway through the movie, but it really is a lifeline for me. It turns out the reason that the house was left for them wasn't the ghosts and the scary and the spooky. It was because there was money hidden in the house that was only meant for the family. That was completely off the books by their now deceased (laughs) grandfather. (laughs) I think that's a pretty good gag. I think it's a horror comedy. I don't know how horrible it is. That's a pretty good gag.
0: You said it came in halfway through. That comes in an hour into the fucking movie. There's only 20 minutes left. Two thirds of the
2: way through. Whatever. All right, so Dave loved this film. Why don't we go with John first? John initial thoughts of this film you're laughing already you know if we watched this together the three of us we would have had fun so that's just preface that I mean, by saying. yeah
1: i mean first i uh, just to echo what you said dave like when they started counting down the ghosts at the beginning i was like oh <laughs> even before that the, the sound effects over like the the columbia label the columbia pictures they were just like oh, oh ah! just like screams and ghost noises yeah. just <laughs> happening for no reason there was some cool like bleeding visual stuff that was happening initially, but then it just felt like it was, it was too much. Like it just went too much all the time. This is my big picture takeaway from this movie. Horror movies weren't actually scary yet. And that's okay. That's okay. All those old hammer, you know, London hammer movies, uh, you know, the old monster movies, the Universal adapted, The Mummy, Dracula, like those are fun. There's fun horror classic uh, movies, but they weren't, they didn't get scary. Yet, And I would even say, you know, Hitchcock is suspenseful and thrilling. Even he doesn't, like, scare, scare me. We're about a decade away from movies actually getting scary. I wasn't expected to be scared, so this is not why I'm critiquing this. But I was not—I I, I had to look this up just to remind myself. This is before ratings, right? The rating system didn't exist yet. The Motion Picture Association of America had not started doing that yet. So the whole time I was watching this, I was like, is this a family movie? Like, are they— <laughs> Do they want? Why are you even I thought this is like a. This is like a. Why is that even want, on your mind? They were well, they were casting like a wide net, like nothing. Everything
0: felt very wholesome. Yeah, it's like leave it so, to Beaver with moaning. I was just thinking, leave it to Beaver. Yes, That's yes. Just what I was thinking with the guy, boy,
1: that guy who plays the. I looked up that bit of trivia, which I'm sure you guys saw that as well. Charles Herbert, who plays the father, uh-huh. leave it to Beaver
2: character. This is the last movie he ever made. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> First piece it. of
1: trivia on IMDb, I was like, what is going on with this guy? There's that, <laughs> that one moment where the son asks him, sorry, this is very specific film fans, but I have to laugh with my my two buddies here. His acting was just, was, I, I don't want to pick on this guy. <laughs> the work was, guy was the work was bad. The work was bad. There was one moment where the kid's like, yeah, I'll drink. There's one moment where the kid's like, what about the ghost, dad? Uh, do you think they'll know when we're here? And he has a scene where He's like, son, it's fine. He's like, but what about tonight? And he goes, oh. <gasps> And he like turns and like looks back at the child with like a everything was just was so fake. It just felt like it was it felt like it was trying to shove that father knows best tone down your throat while also trying to genuinely scare you. And and I, and I just kept confusing me. I was like, I don't understand why they keep going back and forth between these two things. If the family, I thought the mother was the best. If the family was more scared. I would be more scared, but they kept right. every time they were together as a family. I felt like they were they were not trying to let us have scary feelings with them. I'm giving this movie a lot of credit. This movie was fucking terrible. But I feel like that was the <laughs> the main problem with it was that I felt He's like I was watching wrong. two different movies the whole
2: time. <laughs> buzz, buzz, buzz. I don't know.
1: Did you guys feel that way?
2: I still think it's fun for everybody to fucking. This is we did no, I, not I, expect I, this I was, movie to be good. So I was let's definitely not, like, watching the one. Like, I was
0: watching the one shit movie the whole time. <laughs>
2: Okay. Yeah. I still think nobody's even nobody's seen this movie. Watching it's a it's a funny enough gag with the goggles. Which, by the way, they did not use the goggles correctly in this film. They they definitely could have done better with that. He puts the goggles on, and the ghosts just catch catch on fire. Like what the fuck is that? This is not a. This is a ghost horror. There's just a, also there's three ghosts that just like communicate to each other every night. It's really strange. But yeah, the, they the, It was a chat. good enough yeah. gig. It was a good enough gimmick that they tried to do a quote unquote remake, meaning they just took the gag of the goggles and they tried to make it again in 2001. So it was at least catchy enough to to have some legs.
0: Yeah, I thought I'd, I I'd give that,
2: that, that a was look was young, and see if it was like, any
0: better. And it, yeah, it's, it's not that much better. It's not, <laughs> no, it's not much better. I remember
1: it, at least. I, I just remember, I don't know. I remember thinking like Matthew Lillard. By the way, that, by the way that's the best work Mr. Herbert did in the whole movie was when he first put the goggles on and was scared of the fire ghost and he's screaming like a maniac. I was like, why is there why are we at a hundred and zero this whole yeah. kind of yeah. time? This guy I, is either screaming at a ghost he can't <laughs> see, or he is just completely <laughs> vacant anyway i feel like i'm giving herbert a hard
0: time i mean i my first note here like well actually i made it about halfway through the movie it's I'm all glad you caps. took notes during this and it's mm, 13 wh- that's very professional <laughs> it's, of it's you. like yeah, what is this movie trying to do exactly exactly like I mean, I, let's just focus for a second on the Illusiono gimmick uh which is the current gimmick he used to try and sell this film probably because he knew it was a giant flaming piece of shit <laughs>
3: but, yeah, it's a uh, castle.
0: The uh, the, the whole movie shot in black and white, but the ghosts were composited over and were tinted red. So where you were given this pair of glasses when you walked into the theater, and they had a red film and a blue Ugh. film. Not on, it was a, all red or all blue. You could switch it between the two. So the idea was, if you were brave enough, you'd switch it to red and you'd be able to see the ghosts in the movie. If you switch it to blue, the ghosts disappear. That's cool.
2: Oh, that is cool. Um,
0: so I no like like. Yeah, that was, that was the gimmick they used to try and sell this film. If you're brave enough, you'll switch it to red and see the ghosts. Yeah, no, fuck, fucking hell.
3: <laughs>
1: oh, but hold on, hold on. I am curious, though. Unpack that for a second. Are you against the idea of that gimmick, or do you think it just didn't work because the ghosts weren't scary? Because, how badass would that have been if he would have scared the fucking shit out of people in yeah, 1960s? I have no
0: problem at all with a gimmick like that being thrown into a little movie. As long as the movie is good, you don't just rely on the gimmick.
1: Yeah.
3: yeah.
1: The, the I mean, those ghosts, this movie, the ghosts, you guys, they were not scary at all. Like, I'm not even talking about the execution of them, like, even yeah. just the writing of them. Every single one of the ghosts, when they, because they tell you multiple times what, like, the names of the ghosts and a little bit of, like where they're from. That's basically yeah, the essence they give, of their origin. They give them a them curtain call too. They came from. <laughs> yeah. They have a curtain, they calls, a curtain yeah. call. They get an intro and a curtain call. Yeah. I was waiting for like the kick line. If they had uh, just added one or two sentences to the origin to tell you what's so fucked up about how they died. Right. So I don't know. I just feel like there was no, there was nothing. There was only one. There's there, only there was one. No the, one. The guy,
2: the guy if, whose head got bit off by the lion is the only yeah, one. Who okay. Ate. Let me
0: stop it there at that too. Cause that lion tame a ghost. Like he Why was he, that a he, ten he bas- minute scene? He, yeah, the, the lion becomes the a pet. like he sees the lion ghost and then he sees the lion tamer ghost and the lion tamer ghost is dancing around like a fool and then he basically gets his like his empty neck and sticks it in the lion's mouth and like hits the lion's head with it and the lion swats him and the guy goes flying backwards and I'm like, hang on a minute. In this plate shot, is this guy just in a headless costume fucking pissing yep. off a lion?
2: Yeah, that's, yep, exactly that's exactly what I was what thinking. And then <laughs> the
0: cut, the cut, the
1: cut out of that, all the cut, the editing was terrible. The cut yeah. out of that particular sequence, they decided, mm. they were like, just let it roll until the lion actually bit the top of the fake neck and they were like, cut.
3: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. Cut before sees <laughs> season. Yeah. Boom.
2: And it's funny because it was like a man who's brave enough to put his head in a lion's mouth. And then as soon as the lion does that, they're like, get him out of there. Get him out. Get him out. Get the fire department. I mean, that guy yeah. definitely
1: and, got I mean, injured. That lion took a bite out yeah, of him. Yeah. Also, come on.
2: His arms were halfway down his body because they clearly just put like another top on top of him. Yeah, so like his head was covered by this huge oh thing. like yeah, Because
0: he's like, what do you want me to do? <laughs> okay, well, we're going to make the top of my body at least the width of this lion's jaw.
2: Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> he's not taking so a ridiculous. chop out of a head. Come on. Like, didn't you I, like the sound design, though? But the sound is like, it was just wind. There was wind. That was like a tsunami came in the house at any time, but there were just yeah. random screams <clears throat> and laughs. It was like you're on the Haunted Mansion ride in I've, Disney World. I heard more exactly. convincing noises exactly. coming
0: out of my neighbors in my Manhattan apartment. Mm
2: right but it was just just random they would just be like but they're just like at dinner (laughs) like
0: it's just that
2: also is the house haunted they're like i don't know is the house haunted they get a ouija board and literally the it's called a planchette on the the ouija board it's like the the board that you put your hands on to see like where the the spelling goes (laughs) if you can picture a ouija board it just floats through the air so yep it looks like the house is haunted yeah
1: they were like, "We're going to float as many things as possible." That's not a that a we can afford that
0: effect. From my perspective, <laughs> yeah. the production value of this and the production value of Magnificent Seven are opposite ends of the scale. Absolutely, absolutely,
1: and, and let's point out that, like, again, th- William Castle is not Alfred Hitchcock, and I'm not just ta- I'm not talking about skill. I'm just talking about the amount of money and you know resources at his availability. This is definitely a B horror movie. But I like some of Corman's B-horror movies. Yeah, I, I feel too. like they have a little bit more charm to them. This one, I feel like this one was overreaching. So, like, yeah, there are elements, like, things like that. Like, how many things can we float? It's like, okay, but, like, know your role. Like, that kitchen scene. After they floated the planchette, I was like, sure. You know, this is 1960, like, didn't have a lot of stuff. And then they write in this kitchen scene where one of the ghosts was, like, a an Italian cook that killed his... <laughs> <laughs> this whole fucking family. So they they decided to float everything they could off the counters and the milk. And I don't know. It's just like, all right, there's just, we're, we're, I don't know. There was a yeah. wiser way, I think, to use the limited resources. It could have been an hour 10 yeah. and scarier.
0: I think, I, I think the, the thing that surprised me most about this film was everyone involved in it got more work. Except for Charles <laughs> Herbert. Can we talk about... And but here,
2: the best part about the film though is that the ghosts are not antagonists of the film. Sometimes ghost movies they just throw you yeah. in a house and then it's a scary ghost and you're waiting to see if the family's gonna die or leave. At least in this, they have a lawyer who's in charge of the estate who's trying to steal the money that's buried in the house. So at least the and, ghosts aren't and the antagonist. I think the daughter,
0: he's also trying to steal the daughter. Also, possibly? the daughter, know, so there's like a
2: little boy there. who's like nine years old and then a daughter who is hot. <laughs> who is very clearly yeah. 20 years old and hot. Like she is on dates. Like clearly the producer was like, I'm casting my name girlfriend. Is,
1: her name is her name is Medea. The names of these yeah. characters is I, incredible. and I'm not I'm not, Medea, I'm not I'm not shaming Hilda, Cyrus, then right. Allen. I'm not shaming I'm not shaming the, the actress because the actress
2: was awesome, but she clearly won a talent scouting, like you know, in the studios used to do that. And then they were like, they need to put her in a picture. So they have like their hot new star that they just throw in movies. And there's no way that she's the sister to this guy. She could very, I, I honestly thought, I was like, wait, maybe she is the mother. And I just misread the first scene. Like, I really thought she was the kid's mother, not a sister. Like, she was I know, It was old. weird. It
1: was and a very just, weird,
0: yeah. Age let gender. me correct
1: myself really quickly. I've been wrong this entire time. Charles Herbert is the child. The child he never bother again. me at all. Donald Donald yeah. Woods is yeah, the yeah, father. Yeah. Cyrus okay. Zorba, he is the one that bothered right. me a lot. I can't well, believe Well, if you go to Mark... The, Jeff, to give him credit to give him credit, I will say I did think that was cool that it ended up that the lawyer searching for money was actually the antagonist and that I don't know if I, I needed him to actually be the one who was trying to scare them. but they did have me a little bit with on the hook of like, what the f- why is this guy so fucking matter of fact no. about believing in these ghosts and all that shit. I was like, is that just because this movie sucks? So they did get me a little bit. It was like, oh, he was he was manipulating them the whole time. Um, well, sort yeah, of. Mm. Cause let's get there and let's talk about the witch. Okay, let's talk so about So if about you her. if you go yeah. to
2: Margaret Hamilton's IMDb, that's Margaret Hamilton number one on that list. I'm gonna go ahead and say is the best number one you could ever have on your IMDb, which is she is the wicked witch from fucking Wizard of Oz. She is the OG Elfie baby. West, baby. She is Elfie. She is the wicked witch west side. of the west. <laughs> Dave will tell you a little more about her backstory because he looked it up. He loves Margaret. Dave is a huge number one Margaret Hamilton fan. It's why he chose 13 Goes. He's got a he giant loves poster he loves of her
0: the, in his apartment. Number two. The first thing I say when I wake up in the number, morning.
2: Not your wife. Number two. <laughs> <laughs> number two on Margaret Hamilton's yeah, right, IMDb she live to this, listen is this podcast. Thirteen Ghosts. Somehow, Thirteen Ghosts is number two in Margaret Hamilton's after The Wicked Witch of the Fucking West. And you th- you sit there and you go, what happened in those twenty one years between? I just looked it up on IMDb. At least fifty TV series, movie, like fifty jobs. But this movie, they for some reason she must have owed a favor, or maybe she was a gambler and lost yeah, a card I mean, game, and so
0: she could have get into a nice, respectable porn or something. A much, much
2: better porn so film out there up? exists than this. She Diggler. she was cons- called a witch. She is the one who was she is the lady who was who worked for the previous owner of the house, the grandfather, and then came with the house, <laughs> but decided not to tell the family that there's money buried there. <laughs> she came with the house, and they kept calling her a witch. And then, by the way, I have to spoil it because it's totally <laughs> worth watching the movie. At the end of the movie, she picks up a broom and stares dead, like, down Broadway, right down the lens of the camera. Down the barrel. Right down, down the, barrel. the barrel. She's holding a broom. <laughs> she might as well wink and fucking fly off that set. It is the- I thought she did wink. I thought
1: she, did she not wink? She gives like, a she smile. She gives a, a, like, a like, little nod, yeah. Sh- Witch yeah, of the like, West,
2: playing herself. Things have gone bad for Elfie since she left Oz. That, that has to be the backstory, right? This is, she's actually playing the Wicked Witch.
1: Honestly, this whole movie would have been more interesting if it was from her perspective. <laughs> like, the housekeeper, the housekeeper who used to be his medium, who was involved with him, and has this new family coming in. She was my favorite character, honestly. Well, she was... I mean, yeah.
0: the, I mean, I think we can, we can sum this up in... Uh, you've got the first uh, five minutes, you're meeting the ghosts in a slow zoom towards camera where they're numbered for you for convenience. And then <laughs> for the next 55 minutes, you're getting random scenes of ghosts with a loose loose plot through and then uh <laughs> from, a the, from, 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 from the liberal use of the word from, plot <laughs> from the yeah. uh from the one hour mark they introduced the plot of the money being in the house um and then at uh, the about the one hour 15 mark we're just about there at the end of the film and like everything's happened and they suddenly cut to the father sitting there who proceeds to explain the entire confusing the entire bullshit yeah. you've just sat through. Absolutely mm. terrible. There he, must have been a scene lit- or two because they literally, literally right give you it. the plot points.
1: They cut right to it, right at that little climax. They cut right to it. It was so weird. I also will say Margaret Hamilton's character explains to the husband and wife that all the back history, she explains about the money. Like, oh, I didn't trust him until he started pulling out all of his stocks and bonds and turning it into cash. And then he pulled out all of his money out of the banks and hid it here in the house. He knew all of that. There's a scene where the lawyer goes to the husband's office and the husband acts like he doesn't know, but he's not pretending. He acted. The character was written written incorrectly as though he didn't know there was money in the house. Did you guys catch that? It was like, what? No, dude, you're totally, you know exactly what he's talking about. You know what the secret the boy is keeping... I don't know. I thought that was, that was a big yeah, obvious it was, mistake. It, yeah, was there, like, there was
0: a lot of obvious mistakes here, like making this movie in the first place.
2: <laughs> come on. Just have some I don't fun. know. It could have been cute. Yeah, I think nothing. it could have been cute. It's not like they paid their actors. Like, it caused nothing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they didn't pay their actors. <laughs> I mean, this is the kind of movie you don't get a royalty check from. You get a fucking apology <laughs> note.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: I mean, the whole time I was watching this, though, I just think like funny. Get the fuck out of here, Jeff! Come on,
1: be be real. But you guys, filmmakers here, like, wouldn't there have been a little bit of you that would have had a good time? Like, if we would have moved Uh, to Hollywood in the fifties, hundred percent, we were like. These guys are just theater troops that are like, let's let's try to make a movie. Like let's just let's get a little money together and let's get this set and let's just tell this story. Somebody will go watch it, right?
2: hundred percent. That was fun. Any, All right. Right. Totally Dave, anything I else, Dave? Dave anything else? I feel like we covered no, it. I
0: think we've exhausted this uh this uh, podcast. If, Ro- if, no. if you have a if you if you have a Roku if you have
2: a Roku device, I think it's fun. Turn it into a drinking game. And every time you see a ghost or they say the word ghost, drink. And hear let's see if you can make it through an hour and 25 minutes that's what i would say to that it's on
1: a uh, crackle as well if anybody has crackle
2: yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah all right cool so next week dave did you write these down because i
0: forget i of course i did okay cool <laughs> yes next week we're going to 2018 which yeah. is a short jump uh we're gonna do the movie hereditary Ah, uh, tony Colan. and the movie the F- yes the movie the favorite Olivia Colman, one of my favorite actresses
2: on the planet. Olivia Colman, I really, really hope she's about to win an Emmy tonight for Crown Season 3. She was so good in Crown Season 3. Olivia Colman, the favorite. Olivia! And we're going to
0: try and redeem Solo A Star Wars Story. We might be able to do it. We might be able to pull it off. Subject of uh, much derision and controversy and then developed a, bit, a little bit of a cult following yeah in its later days shut up mr it, howard i mean we may get a solo day. two at some point i don't
2: know Ron howard Amelia clark coming Ooh, in oh, let's, not, let's not get ahead let's of care. ourselves let's see what right. do. guys this has been a really fun episode <laughs> talking about films from 1960 next week 2018 can't wait to see you all have a fantastic week signing out